This is David opposing the Matrix. How are you today? Hope you're doing fine. Um, decided to do a show tonight. It's approximately, well, it's exactly 11 o'clock on the uh, West Coast, on the left coast, on the communist coast. Um, and I don't say that with any pride. I say it with sorrow, basically. Um, it's, I shouldn't have to call this the communist coast, but uh, the uh, leftists have made it that way. So I'm um, uh, displaced. Um, no, I'm not displaced. I belong here. I, I, I'm a person that uh, leans. I'm, I have it. I'm an American in a un-American uh, bastion of uh, madness, <laughs> perplexity. There you go, because that's what we're going to talk about tonight, folks. We're going to talk about perplexity, and we're, we're experiencing perplexity in our society. Uh, scripture talks about perplexity, that there are going to be times of perplexity such as no man has ever seen. I think those times are starting, especially for those, those of us here in the United States. Perhaps people in other countries have gotten used to it by now. Um, because they've grown up in perplexity most of their lives, but... Um, uh, before I get started with this, I want to let you know that uh, we do have a, an idea of what we're going to talk about this Monday, uh, since it's the day before Election Day. Uh, we want to, we don't want to solely focus on politics, but what we'd like to do uh, this Monday is, um, well, you know how you have, uh, you had corrupt administrations, and I'm talking about the the Clintons. Um, the Bushes, the uh, the Obamas and everything. And then all of a sudden you get an outsider that comes in and it's kind of refreshing, kind of like David came in and took over from Saul, you know. And um, so anyway, we're going to talk about uh, the Biden scandal, Russia, uh, Ukraine, um, how things are getting twisted and turned around. Again, perplexity. Um, we're going to talk about... Uh, Oh, David and Saul and uh, the Trump uh, try to compare or contrast Trump to the establishment prior to which uh, was uh, seemed to be that of Saul and some of the more wicked judges and stuff that ruled over Israel before Saul. Um, anyway, that's what we're going to talk about. So uh, on Monday, not tonight. Tonight we're gonna we're gonna delve into perplexity, and um, I don't know about you, but it seems like anymore I can't say anything without somebody jumping down my throat. No matter how hard I try to be nice about it, um, I realize I'm not the most eloquent speaker, and I realize that sometimes I say things off the cuff, and and um, in many ways I'm like I'm like Trump when it comes to talking. I uh, I speak my mind. I. Um, I would rather be around somebody like me than somebody that hides things and speaks in secrets um, and, and in the darkness, um, kind of like the rats scurry around or cockroaches. But um, but it, it seems like uh, that's not an acceptable mode of co communication anymore. <laughs> um, we have a form of godliness in this country, but we deny the power thereof. You know, we're... we're Constantly told not to judge, but uh, that's all that happens with the secular world. Christians are told not to judge, um, but the secular world can judge all at once and judge uh, in uh, bad judgment, too. But um, anyway, um, 
weird things have been happening. Um, you know, I, uh, I've always considered myself a pretty good orator. I've been considered myself a person that could talk, talk to people, talk them down if they were excited. Um, I kind of grew up with a father that, uh, uh, flew off the handle a lot and I, I kind of developed the skills where I could talk with people and, uh, uh, through experience with him where I could talk with people and, and kind of mellow them out a little bit or at least know not when to talk and just wait for them to cool down a little bit. I've, um, I grew up with that. So it, I, I tend to be able to do, do that pretty well. Um, when I was going through nursing school and they wanted us to practice active listening, that was a very easy thing for me to do. And to be empathetic is a very easy thing for me to do. Um, so anyway, um, it's, it's, you know, what's really weird is that I, I seem to be able to communicate with psychotic people, um, better than I can with regular people anymore. It's, uh, you know, and then you got to stop and pause. You know, is that because, you know, I'm becoming psychotic? No, I don't think it is. I think it's because society is becoming psychotic. And and it's new for them. Uh, people that I deal with every day at my workplace have been psychotic for years. And uh, they're kind of accustomed to being that way. So when you talk to them and try to talk them down or or uh, or what have you, you know, it, it's pretty easy to do. Um, you know, I've... I have to laugh because um, there there are people at work that that tend to piss people off very easily, and I'm talking about my coworkers. Uh, for instance, um, a lot of times I have to pass medications, and and uh, there was a time when I was not able to go out into the hallways because I was um, on light duty, and they you know their thought was, well, if he's on light duty, he can't defend himself if something were to happen, so we'll just keep him in a nurse's station passing meds which was okay with me, but I would have to ask people to go cue people for medications because a lot of times people don't want to get up and get their meds or, you know, they're, they're so heavily sedated on meds that they can't get up very easily and they have to be reminded. We call that cueing. And um, what I've noticed over the last almost five years now is that a lot of times people will go bang on the door, you know, bam, bam, bam on the door, then open it up and go, come get your meds. Well, I'm not crazy, and I wouldn't like that if somebody did that to me. Okay. Um, so, you know, the, the golden rule works everywhere you go. Okay. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And so now that I'm able to cue again, and I have been for a few months uh, since my injury is healed, but um, what I do now is I, I knock on the door very gently, and I've always done this. Because I know what it's like to be woken up abruptly. I do not wake up in a good mood when I'm woken up abruptly. Okay. And I know a lot of people aren't, not just me. But, um, so yeah, you know, I'll knock on the door. Sometimes I'll do the shave and a haircut knock, you know, the, you know, and, um, and, uh, so, and then I'll open up the door very gently and I'll say, you know, so-and-so, you know, it's time for your medications. Would you like to come get them? That way I, I pose that as a question, not a demand. Okay. And when you start ordering people around, a lot of times they don't like it. But when you pose it as a question and as a, uh, hey, I care about you, you know, would you like to come get your meds? Um, it's taken a lot better. And most of the time, I would say 99% of the time, they'll just roll out of bed, come and get their meds. You know, 
Uh, sometimes they'll have special requests. You know, I don't want to be woken up till after 8:30. <clears throat> well, if you don't, if you if your med pass goes all the way to nine, I have no I have no problem with that. I'll wait till 8:45 and I'll go knock on the door. Boy, I've gotten more people say, you know, hey, thank you for doing that. You know, this is these are people that are considered psychotic and crazy thanking you for being nice to them. Maybe it's the first time ever somebody ever was nice to them. Maybe they've been abused all their lives. You know, you got to think about things like that. And even if, you know, they, they become belligerent and and stuff like that still, you know, there there's a degree of um, decorum, um, a degree of uh, treating them with dignity and respect. Um, because you could bring a person down real easy with dignity. And I don't mean down in a bad way, but... Uh, Mood-wise, um, you can get an excited person, very unexcited, if you treat him with respect and dignity. Uh, now, it doesn't work all the time, you know, but um, it works the majority of the time. And the, uh, the funny thing, and I've shared it with Brian, and I don't know if I've shared it on the air, but what I'll do a lot of times when I get called on a code, and a code is usually when, when the patient is going ballistic, uh, very loud, cursing, threatening, um, sometimes even hitting walls and stuff like that. I'll go to that code and, you know, I'm, I'm not made like I used to be made. I'm 61 now. I'm an older guy. I mean, if somebody was getting a snot beat out of them, I'd jump in there right away. But, um, usually there's such a good response that, you know, I can stand in the background. I just start praying, you know, oh Lord, that person is, is very, very angry, you know, and I think it's a demonic thing and please bring them down a little bit. And you'll notice they go down a little bit. And then, Lord, thank you for doing that. You know, now if they can go from from hitting the walls to just yelling, can you bring them from yelling to just talking loud? And that happens. And then, okay, thank you, Lord. Now, if you can bring them from talking loud down to uh, where they can have a conversation, it still may be loud, but they can reason. That would be greatly appreciated, Lord. And so then... That happens. And I've had it where I've prayed all the way to the time where they go, you know what, I think I need a time out. I want to go into the quiet room and be there by myself where I can think about things. And that has happened so many times. It's been an amazing thing. And I've shared that with my coworkers. And they're like, can you go on all the codes? Um, but anyway, um, there is a, there's a way to deal with people. And, and it's not through ranting and raving. And it's not through... Uh, being abusive, you know, we we figure that person's hurt me, so I'm going to be abusive. That's not not the way we're supposed to be. You know, we're supposed to be ever forgiving. And you know, I'll be the first one to admit that sometimes people rub my grain the wrong way, and and it really gets me uh, uh excited and angry, maybe. But um, I always have to think, you know, what's why are they being that way? You know, did they get a bad sleep? Did they sleep at all? You know, I'm not just talking about patients. I'm talking about people you run into on the street. You know, some guy's pissed off. Well, you know, he's well, he's driving 100 miles an hour and he comes up right on your rear end, you know, and and that nothing gets me more angry than that. And <laughs> but a lot of times you go, OK, well, the guy's probably in a hurry. He might have been in a fight with his wife this morning or maybe his kids were hard, were wouldn't get up and he had to get him dressed. And they had to go to school. And, and, you know, there's so many factors that fit into people's lives that if we were to think about it, we'd be really quick to forgive before we even started judging. So, and I'm preaching to myself here, okay? 
because I'm a different animal behind the wheel of a car. <laughs> I'll be the first one to admit it. Um, anyway, um, perplexity. So what makes me talk about perplexity? Well, um, I've noticed that even though I'm able to communicate with people pretty easy by by using the right terms and things like that, it seems that even that's not working these days. And I'm not so much talking about with patients. I'm talking about with coworkers and people in general. Um, you can't make comments anymore, it seems like, without offending somebody in some way. Okay. <laughs> and if you if you could understand me... There's times when that makes me want to become that way even more. Okay. And I know that sounds like a big contradiction from everything I've just told you. But if a person is acting like an idiot out in public, you know, um, there's, there's times when, you know, there's different measures for different people. Okay. Uh, some kids, you know, you can get away with a stern talk. Other kids, you know, you can, swat them lightly on the rear end, you know, and, and, or you could be, you know, <laughs> like my father was with the belt. Um, and I don't blame him for doing that because I deserved it at the time. Okay. Um, but anyway, um, it's, there's, there's different ways to treat different people and depending on different circumstances. Okay. And it's, you could spend five or six lifetimes. You could live to be the age of Methuselah, 969 years old and still not know how to figure out people. Okay. It's a constant learning experience that, uh, you'll probably be working on till the day you take your last breath and go to be with Yeshua. Or if you don't know him, you go to the other place. Um, but, uh, anyway, so, uh, I, I talked about a few weeks ago, I think, on this radio show about um, how I felt like I was in a, almost like a Twilight Zone episode. Uh, for for one day, it was like everything I said at work was taken the wrong way. And um, so I decided, you know, after after the second time of being approached by somebody in a very negative manner, I said to myself, well, I'm just going to keep quiet and not talk. And that's hard for me to do because I'm a social person. But... Um, so I kept really quiet until the swing shift came in. And there's some people that I really love on a swing shift because I've worked with them for the whole time I've worked on that floor. And, um, and I could confide in them. And I remember the one guy walked in and I, and I said, I said, have you ever heard about the Mandela effect? And he said, what's that? And I, and I, it was neat because I got to explain to him what the Mandela effect is, if it exists. And I said, today's been like the, like, you know, like people from different universes have been working here or different realities. You know, it's, it's like, uh, you know, I got the mean supervisor this morning that came from a different, uh, parallel universe. And, and, uh, the next day, the, uh, or later that day, the, uh, RN that I was working with, that's usually very, very pleasant man to work with was just, uh, you know, kind of like a monster, actually. And uh, I think, though, that he realized that he'd overstepped his bounds because he got kind of quiet afterwards. And you could tell that he was he was really in, uh, being retrospective and and looking at himself, although he never came up to me and told me anything. But just knowing that a person was was thinking about their actions and was maybe mournful of them just made me feel like, OK, well, this person's, you know, redeemable. <laughs> but um, anyway, um, so. More and more of these things have been happening, and, and 
And, you know, I, I'm not saying that it's other universes uh, interloping into ours, although that could be happening. Who knows? But um, I just think it's a sign of the times. I think it's with all that's going on with COVID, with the election that's going on, with uh, the deep down seated fact that uh, this country is going to change for the worse if one side gets in. Um, it'll it'll slowly improve to get if the other side remains in. Um and and people just don't want to address it because we can't address things like that at work. We're told we can't. You know, you don't talk, talk religion and politics. So you got to listen to all this stuff and be really mum about it. And the leftists do not care. They talk anyway. So um, it's uh, I think it's 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 just a lot of things that are coming down the pike. And um, so anyway. The other day, uh, my wife and I had had gone down to Sweet Home, and we decided to um, do a little shopping, very little. And uh, and my wife said, you know, this would be a, a good time for you to get a haircut because you're starting to scare me because um, I think maybe you're going into a second, uh, uh, what do they call it, a midlife crisis. That's what she said. I think you're going into a midlife crisis because you're letting your hair grow. It wasn't really that long, but I was scruffy. And uh, I said, you know what, you're right. I need to get a, a haircut. And she says, yeah, I was beginning to think that you were going to start growing your hair long and get a ponytail. She says, and, and I'm not going to put up with a man bun. And I said, well, neither would I. But anyway, uh, yeah, you don't want to get me started on man buns. Um, so we went to, uh, uh, let's see, I there's three barbers in town that I know of. Um, and there's a guy that's, that we call the $9 guy. And I don't think I've ever been in there before. I may have been, I can't remember. Um, but, uh, it turns out that the other two, the one guy had gone home early and the other one was locked up tight. And I don't know why, you know, I guess she had her reasons for not being there. So I decided to go to the $9 guy. Okay. You know how they say you get what you pay for? Well, you get an attitude, too, when you get... Anyway, um, so what I did, and, and, you know, we still got the mask thing going on here. Um, although it's kind of lax around here, um, I guess down in Sweet Home, OSHA's been walking into businesses and tagging people or businesses for not not forcing their clientele to wear masks. And I fully understand that people that pisses people off. Plus it usually is accompanied by a fine after the first warning. Um, if they ever get a warning. Um, and, and there are idiots that are driving around and that are looking for people to report. And they usually drive uh, Toyota Priuses or Subarus. Um, and if you're a conservative and you drive one of those cars, I apologize, but uh, you're a very rare breed. Uh, most people that drive those cars are, are libtards, and uh, somebody must came, once came out with a uh, uh, a notion that all Priuses should come out of the factory with Obama stickers on them. And I thought, man, that is an excellent idea. You know, I'd like to get like a boxes of Obama stickers and the minute one of them rolls off the line and it gets parked in the lot ready to be shipped, slap an Obama sticker on it or a coexist sticker. That would be another one. Um, but anyway, um, so the other two were closed and, and I decided, well, you know, I've heard about this nine dollar guy and um, I've heard that he could be either in a good mood or a bad mood. And 
And frankly, I'm not in a very good mood, so I hope he's in a good mood because when I go there, I don't want to put up with any crap. So um, I parked the truck and asked my wife to pray for me. <laughs> and uh, and the minute I got to his door and opened it up, I felt into my left pocket and realized my mask wasn't there. And uh, I'm going to write to you what I what I wrote on um, what Facebook and, and the Sweet Home group and. And you can judge it for for what it's worth, but I think I was being pretty nice. And I'll explain the last paragraph in a minute. But um, I said, I need some opinions. I went to the $9 barber over by Bymart yesterday. I opened up the door to enter and was greeted with, uh, by him actually yelling at me. And I'm talking about red in the face yelling, okay? And he yelled out, where's your mask? And I reached into my jacket pocket and realized I left the mask in the car. I said, just a minute, and um, I turned around to go back and get the mask, and he yelled at me again. He says, um, well, if you're going to want a beard trim, you don't need one, you know, and I said to him, no, I don't I don't need a beard trim, and so he yelled at me again and, um, and said, well, well, then you better get a mask on before you come in here, and I mean, we're talking, if I was standing uh, around him, I'd probably be getting spit on, that's how, it was like. You know, you ever hear the expressions, I'm so angry I could spit nails? Uh, actually, they, they, they use the other orifice in the back, but we'll, we'll be nice and use this one, spit nails. Um, now, I'm not exaggerating when I say he was yelling. And I, and I wrote to the, the, the group and I said, I'm 61 years old and I know the difference between determined talk and angry abuse. I said, so pissed off or angry, I got into my truck to find another barber, but both others were closed, and I drove to Lebanon and found Rebecca, the haircutter, who was an excellent haircutter. If you ever go to Lebanon, Oregon, go see Rebecca, okay? She's a, a Jewish lady that believes in Jesus, and she had Christian music playing in her, and it was just wonderful. Um, and I said, has anyone else had trouble with the $9 guy? And it was a genuine question. I wasn't trying to stir anything up, okay? Okay. <clears throat> And I said, I'm a bit concerned, and I'm not going to go to some guy that has razors and other sharp instruments or appears to have some kind of active psychosis going on. Well, I guess I could have used a different word. But, you know, when you deal with uh, people that are psychotic, the way he was acting almost appeared to be psychotic. So, um, And I know that, that the first thing we keep from uh, from psychotic people at work are sharp instruments that they can use to hurt people. And I would never let anybody bring a knife uh, or a straight razor or a pair of very sharp scissors onto our unit because they wouldn't be used for good. Um, well, you know, I'm giving my guys, I should give them the benefit of the doubt. We got a pretty good group of guys. But um, anyway, so uh, anyway, I got a plethora and I'm talking about, I've got 16 pages of replies about this guy. You know, some of them, oh, I've been going to him for years, never had a problem. A lot of them said, you know, oh, he's a straight shooter, um, you know, and, and if you can't handle that, then you need to go somewhere else. Um, one said he was in the ex, he's an ex-military guy, so he goes, and you know what that means. They're they're always loud and gruff. And, and um, Another guy told me I was being too soft. I didn't really respect that too much because I, where I come from, I, I could probably um, be judge, jury, and executioner of this guy and take him out really easy. But I'm a 
believer in Yeshua and have been for 40 years, so that lifestyle is gone, has been for a long, long time. Um, but, you know, there's a certain degree to pride, of pride, you know, still. And when when you're called soft after having grown up where I grew up, um, it's uh, not a good, it's it's a, definitely an insult. Um, his daughter got mixed up in the fray, um, starting telling me that uh, she doesn't like being a babysitter and that I should know that I should wear a mask. Everybody's been doing it for six months. And um, what's wrong with me? Um, I explained to her that I'm a nurse, that I wear that thing sometimes 16 hours a day. And I know what a mask is. I know how to wear them. Um, and I don't need her to be my babysitter. And uh, so I guess she didn't like that a lot. But uh, a lot of people, um, you know, he's a wonderful man, somebody said. Um, <laughs> gone to him a couple times, always seems to miss the 20, 20% of the haircut. Um, other people, you know, swear by him and other people swear at him. And here it's, it's really a mixture of, I would say 75% were con against the guy and 25% were pro. Um, but you know, you had your good old boys that are maybe his hunting buddies and, uh, uh, that they were, they sang his praises, but you know what they say, birds of a feather flock together. So, uh, you know, it's, uh, I'm not going to use the, uh, terminology I was just going to use because I think that it would be uncalled for, but, um, people tend to, I'll just say people tend to hand out, hang out with, uh, people that they can identify with. So, uh, you know, the, the old birds of a feather flock together thing. And, um, so maybe, uh, the other people that were sticking up for him, at least some of them are, especially the guys, um, are, um, maybe the same, uh, cut out of the same mold, shall we say. Um, so anyway, uh, I had a laugh because, uh, uh, well, something, you know, everybody's like, oh, um, he, com, not Comcast, um, Facebook and Twitter and, and other formats are, are really quick at cutting people off and or banning their speech on there and stuff like that. Well, you really don't have to worry about that when you bring up um, some bad behavior by somebody in the community because you're always going to. There's always going to be somebody that's involved in some kind of politics in town, and um, they're going to uh, they're going to you know take you off, and and that's what they tried to do, and they did, because I tried to look at things later, and it kept coming up, you know, this post no longer exists, but what they didn't realize is that um, I had left my computer on at home, and everything that got put onto that particular meme. Um, was on my computer so I was able to just cut it or copy it and uh, paste it into a Word document uh, which I'm using tonight and uh, believe me it's not my my intent to start any trouble it really is and it's just that um, you know 
everybody seems to be using the COVID as a uh, an excuse anymore for, um, well, you know, maybe he's just angry because of the COVID thing. Um, you know, COVID this, COVID that, and it's to some degree we can we can um, blame a lot of things on COVID because um, a lot of people's personalities are, are starting to manifest. Their true personalities are starting to manifest. Um, I think it was Yeshua that said that out of the mouth comes the issue of the heart. In other words, if you've uh, if you've got a dark heart, then what comes out of your mouth is going to be a manifest of what's really inside. So um, anyway, and I said that on there, and boy, that didn't go over very well. Um, but I explained, you know, I tried to explain to them, you know, it's um, when I go to work, I, I deal with things every day, or a lot of times, I should say not every day, that, uh, boy, if they think the COVID-19 thing is stressful, come to work with me for a day or two, you know? Um, you know, be there when, when, when a patient starts throwing furniture or spits on you or, you know, tries to hit you or knee you or elbow you or, or, um, you know, throws the meds back at you or throws the Kool-Aid at you that you gave him to take his meds or, you know, or anything like that. You know, you think you got it hard now. Come to work with me for a couple of days or a week maybe. And, and I think you'll leave realizing that you got a pretty damn easy life out there. Um, you know, granted, there there are people in some stressful situations, more stressful, but very few. Um, so anyway, um, perplexity, that's that's the order of the show here. And um, so what I did is, well, let me um, let's see. I'm just going to minimize this here. Then I'm going to go back into this and go back to Facebook because I want to share um, a little diatribe that I, um, oh, it may not be there. I just thought about this. It may not be there anymore. Well, I'm scrolling down. I got to tell you that the um, the head guy for the, uh, the Crow Nation, the, the Indian tribe or the Native American tribe, um, endorsed Trump the other day, so... Uh, that, that's a, a really big move if you ask me, <laughs> but, um, but anyway, you know, I just, I just wrote a nice, uh, I thought it was nice. I thought it was very gracious, um, little response to all of their things and told them basically what I told you already that, you know, um, come to work with me and I can show you what real stress is. I told them all about that. I said, uh, you know, if if you really want to run a good business, you're not going to be chasing people out of the store. You're going to talk with them with dignity and respect and not uh, treat them like they're um, your uh, five-year-old school kid that just did something wrong, you know, just threw a rock at your window or something. Um, you know, it's uh, – I've, I've managed things before. I've uh, – well, I was an instructor of adults, and boy, if you think it's an easy job, it's not, because um, at least with children, you can um, you can try to mold them up, but adults are already molded. They've been fired, and uh, and then the heat of uh, life and everything else, and um, you know, so I've I've managed adults in classrooms, I've I've managed apartments in in some pretty bad neighborhoods in towns in California, and um, 
I always had to show grace. You know, I, uh, well, a few stories. I guess I could tell them here because I don't have to type them out or anything like that. But um, I had, uh, I was told by my boss when I managed these one set of apartments. was on uh, the, I think it was on the corner of Rocky Hill and uh, Markham Avenue. It used to be called the Rock Apartments. I don't know what they're called now, but um, the managers or the owners are really nice people, and uh, they lived over in the Bay Area somewhere. And uh, they basically gave me free reign. And so, uh, you know, I was pretty easy to deal with. You know, I, I would let people slide a day or two on their rent if they were, you know, a little late. You know, there there were times where I or one time that I can remember that I had to take somebody to court. Um, and it was funny because he was late on his rent one time and he tried to send his wife down half dressed to try to get me to change my mind. <laughs> and I did pretty good. I told her, you know what, um, this isn't going to work. You're still late on your rent. And uh you know, I'll give you in a couple extra days, but that's about it. Anyway, um, you know, I had, uh, I had a, uh, yeah, as I was going to tell you, my boss told me that we didn't take any Section 8 and we didn't take welfare in our apartment. So back then you could do that. Uh, There's a, a more of a degree of freedom back in the 1980s than there is right now. Um, but uh, so I, uh, I know that there was, um, a group of African-Americans that came to the door one day and they gave me an application. And I said, we don't take welfare here because uh, they looked at the paperwork and saw that that's what they were on. And and they wanted me to look at it anyway. And um, so when they came back, I told them, I'm sorry. I said, I told you, I can't do it. My boss will not allow me to, to um, turn this into Section 8 or welfare. You know, and then, you know, it's, it was, oh, you're a racist. You're nothing but a racist. You're white. You're no good. And I says, well, I'll tell you what. I said, you know, if you go two buildings over and you go to such and such apartment, knock on the door because there's a, there's a, a white woman that lives with a black guy. They're married. I said, and if I was a racist, they wouldn't be living there. I said, they're beautiful people and I love them. I said, so go down right now. Go knock on the door. I said, I challenge you. Go do it. Well, they walked away, called me mother this a few times and mother that a few times and, and never came back. Well, anyway, um, but the one thing that I um, I remember very distinctly was uh, I uh, I moved in a couple and they had a little boy. And uh, I remember I remember just like it was yesterday. And uh, it seemed like a nice couple. And. Um, so they moved in and then after a while I noticed, uh, I looked down there one day and the wife was moving out with the little boy. I'm like, okay, well the guy, you know, maybe they're, they're going to separate for a while and, and he's going to batch it and then they'll get back together. Well, pretty soon he comes up and he wants her taken off the lease, but he wants another guy put on the lease. And I said, okay, we can do that. You know, let me run his credit and everything else. And he, the guy came up pretty clean on his credit and, um, so, uh, you know, Tam came, he came and signed the, uh, rental agreement. We didn't do leases. Um, we went month to month. And, um, so, um, I noticed that, uh, the, the, the guy that was signing, you know, in lieu of the wife, um, was probably, um, 
homosexual. Well, he definitely was. Uh, you could tell by mannerisms, the manner of speech and stuff like that, and the way they looked at each other. But um, I said, that's okay. You know, I can't discriminate, and I'm not going to do that. And, um, you know, as long as people leave other people alone, I don't care what they do. You know, it's not my business to be the moral police. I can pray. You know, and and I did. I prayed a lot. Well, anyway, um, I started getting reports that the uh, the uh, the second guy was trying to pick up on little children that lived down there and everything else, and this could not be. So um, I went down there, and uh, actually, I, I typed up a note and I had a friend deliver it, and it was it basically said, you know, that you there's several neighbors that if you've, you're um, your roommate has tried to pick up on some of their male children, and uh, I can't have that. And I, you know, the the good of the many outweigh the the good of the few. And um, so I would appreciate it if you made different living arrangements. And uh, so he uh, tried calling me a few times. I left it on the answering machine, and he uh, cursed me out pretty bad. And uh, so I sent him another note and I said, you know, I don't see the reason why you're doing this. You know, and um, I've stuck up for you in this whole thing, which I did. You know, I, I, I asked the people, I said, are you imagining stuff or is this for real? I said, I need for you guys to chill out, you know, and maybe you're, you know that the guy goes that way and, and you just want him out of there. And I can't do that, you know. Well, I, I witnessed a couple of things myself and realized that, no, they were they were on the up and up. And um, so um, anyway, after I sent that note down to him, he, he left a few nasty messages and I sent him another letter. I always had friends deliver it. That way I had witnesses. And um, and I said, you know, that I've done you a lot of favors. You know, when when you locked yourself out, you, you guys lost the keys. I replaced the locks and didn't charge you for them. Um, you know, there's there's you know, like I said, I've stuck up for you when other neighbors have complained about you. I said I don't think that the the, the phone calls that you made were warranted, nor do I think they were necessary, nor do I did I appreciate them. And I'm asking you again to please find other living arrangements and. Uh, well, one of the uh, neighbors around him decided that uh, since this guy was in the Air Force, and remember this is back in the 1980s, and homosexuality was not tolerated in the Air Force or any of the armed services, and and he says, I'm going to um, let you know I'm doing this. Um, he says, I'm driving down to talk to the provost marshal down at the, the air base to tell him that, you know, that there's a homosexual in the Air Force. And I said, well, I said, you know, if this is what you feel like you need to do to protect your family, then, you know, you got to do what you got to do. But, you know, I'm not sanctioning this one bit. Um, I would rather have just time take its course and stuff like that. But, uh well, anyway, he did, and then the guy got kicked out of the Air Force and, and everything else. But anyway, um, so, you know, I have I know how to manage people. I've been a very good manager in my lifetime. I've, I have I know how to talk to people effectively. I, I know how to take abuse and absorb abuse and uh, and let the, uh, the people that are doing the abusing get convicted, if they have a conscience, that is. And... Um, 
And a lot of times they've come back and apologized to me just like this guy did. And uh, uh, so anyway, um, I think I have pretty good skills that, you know, to go along through life without um, without making very many mistakes when it comes to talking. I, I always write things and think things out. I always, you know, I, I'm always, especially after taking a lot of the diversity classes I've taken and the, the multicultural cultural training and, and everything else, you know, I've, I'm pretty well adept in knowing what offends people, <laughs> what doesn't. And, and I'm not offensive anyway. Uh, but, um, it's also helped me to, to learn how to write and compose letters that are not judgmental, but uh, can state the facts without being judgmental, uh, so on and so forth. So um, anyway, when uh, when that whole thing happened on Facebook the other day, it just showed me that um, that there's a lot of perplexity out there and it's causing people to do things. It's causing people to stick up for uh, a guy that's obviously... Um, not very pleasant in nature. It's it's allowing people that are um, like him to defend him. Um, it's uh, I don't know. It's oh, that's what I wanted to do. I I wrote another little thing, a little blurb. Oh, I don't know if it's here. Yeah, it should be here because it wasn't part of that. And uh, yeah, there it is. Hallelujah! I found it. Um, I just wrote a little something. I never write a little anything. Um, but I wrote some of my observations about living in or around a small town in, in America. Um, and believe me, we have small towns around here. And, uh, well, anyway, I, I wrote, evidently you don't have to just worry about Facebook removing your posts. People involved in local politics can do it too. I posted what was a question about a local barber that yelled at me out of his, yelled me out of his shop for forgetting my mask, and I kept and kept yelling at me when I went to retrieve it, and I merely asked if anyone had had problems with the guy, you know. And and a lot of that question was, you know, maybe I'm seeing things the wrong way, you know. And if 95% of the people would have written back and said, hey, you know, no, he's He's right on, man. You might have just been caught him on a bad day. Then, then I would have re-examined and and uh, probably gone down and talked to the guy and stuff like that. But anyway, I said uh, roughly 75% of the people responded said that the guy was a jerk. And I said I'm using nice words here. You can imagine the other words and uh, and totally be correct because some people really use some descriptive words for him that. Uh, I will never use on the air or in um, in writing an article. Um, there were the good old boys that stood up for the guy, and probably because they were as big a jerk as he is. There were women who take their kids to the guy, probably because he knows how to flatter. Um, like I said, I've never met the guy, but if, if women stick up for him, then there's a reason, and I don't know what that is, but a lot of times... Um, guys are pretty good at flattering women, especially if they're good looking. And uh, anyway, um, his daughter piped in and defended her dad like a good daughter should do, even if she was wrong. I was uh, constantly reminded of the stress that the guy must be under because of COVID-19. 
Well, newsflash, come to work with me one day in a psych hospital, and you'll know what stress really is. Um, he doesn't get kneed, elbowed, punched, have furniture thrown at him, get spat on, or have medication spit back at him, and he doesn't get baptized with Kool-Aid. Um, I got to hear that he's ex-military, and that's why he's a jerk. But I've been around military kids, parents, and grandparents, and I've worked uh, with military people all my life. And maybe one half of 1% act like this guy uh, did. Uh, Normally, uh, I see normality in in most of what I see with people that are ex-military or currently in the military. Um, On the flip side, I got to hear about him uh, dressing down mothers in front of their kids, his dog biting children, and all sort of people mistreated. And like I said, it was about 75% not in his favor. Uh, I have to get used to small-town America over the years. Um, half the town usually hates the other half, and they've known each other since high school or maybe earlier. About a third of the town thinks that the other third are tweakers, while the tweakers think that their rivals are drunken rednecks. The last third are known as religious fanatics. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um They're all involved with each other in politics of the town, and many of the families share relatives. I almost said are intermarried, and I I thought, oh, boy, that's not going to go good because they're going to think I'm saying interbred. And that's not, you know, that would have been taken out of context right away, so I changed that. Um, You come into such a setting thinking that you are moving to Mayberry or Hooterville, but instead, you're just coming to a small town with all the trappings of a big city without the sophistication and technology that has ruined the cities. Um, although, whoa, oh, I thought it said Danish. I'm tired. Um, although they are clannish, they share a philosophy with mainstream Islam in that the enemy of my enemy is my friends, meaning that although I hate you, if somebody says something about one of any of the clans, they band together and mount their assault, after which they continue the hate for each other all over again. Believe me, I'm not complaining. It beats the hell out of police helicopters and riots and mafia hits. Uh, when I was a young man, my dad always sat in the back of, the, of uh, with his back toward the kitchen and his eye on the front door. Uh, he did that for a reason, because the mafia always came through the front door to kill somebody. <laughs> Um, you can lock your doors when the helicopter is circling and you can sit <clears throat> inside locked and loaded if something happens. I suppose I can relate to the soldiers, uh, to the soldiers that fought in Vietnam, although I'm not fighting. Um, it's hard to distinguish, to, uh, what to say or who to say it to in a small town America because you don't know who's who and who stands with who. Um, you don't know if, um, the guy you were military terms, you don't know if the guy you were on patrol with one night will place a grenade under your pillow the next night. Uh, one thing though, they all seem to hate Kate Brown and her Gestapo. So I guess net for now, I'll have to hang with them in that model of the enemy of my enemy is my friend and wait for the day that Andy Taylor invites us to the harvest dance. So that was not meant to be insulting. That's what I look for in small towns. Peace and harmony and love <laughs> and acceptance. Um, 
it's a, it's a nice little town, Sweet Home is, but it's it's got its problems, just like every little town. Um, so anyway, um, having gone through that and having gone through the other things that I've talked about, my Twilight Zone day and um, and, and things like that, I'm starting to realize that people are changing and it's not for the better. And uh, so I looked up the word perplexity because I know that it's used two or three times in Scripture. And uh, I was surprised to find out that it wasn't exactly a word back in 1828. And I'll get into that in a minute. I always use Webster's 1828 dictionary for as much as I can because it's uh, um, it it um, exemplifies and explains the English language before all the bastardization happened over the last 200 years. Um, now, is this the one I thought about reading toward the end? Okay, no, it's not. Um, in, in this, uh, in Luke, uh, the 21st chapter, Yeshua is talking about um, uh, what the end times are going to be like. And he has a little blurb here in the 25th uh, chapter, or verse, excuse me, of the 21st chapter. He said, there be sh- shall be signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars and upon the earth distress of nations with perplexity and the sea and the waves roaring. Now, the sea and the waves roaring, sea and, sea and the waves always um, pertains to the masses of people, Okay. Well, not always, but many times in Scripture, it's it's a metaphor that's used for that. Um, we have seen signs in the sun. Um, I'm still not too sure about Nibiru, but um, I keep getting pictures from people from the Southern Hemisphere that have, uh, for some reason, it's really big in the Southern Hemisphere, um, you know, this Nibiru thing. And, and uh, some pretty good pictures have come out of... Uh, uh, planets uh, and, and a brown dwarf star circling our sun. Um, signs in the moon, well, we had the blood moons several times. And in the stars, well, we, what was it, back in 2017, the um, the uh, woman, um, uh, the, the virgin um, water bearer um, uh, sign that uh, that occurred. Um and again, that's that's kind of dubious too. But uh, these could all be precursors to what's going to happen in the future. So and Yahweh, a lot of times, will use um, types and precursors to uh, show what He's going to do in the future, um, and and probably the pretty pretty soon future. Um, but He talks about um, distress of nations with perplexity. And then, then there's a semicolon, which means that he's changing the idea just a little bit, or or changing the the people, the group of people that he's talking about. Okay, so he's talking about nations in distress with perplexity. Semicolon, a little bit of a change of idea here. The sea and their waves roaring, meaning the peoples of the world roaring. Um, so I went to Webster's because, like I said, I like looking at. Um, the non-bastardized English uh, language. <laughs> and uh, you'd be surprised if you go here, you're going to find out that words mean differently than what they mean now. So um, I looked, since perplexity wasn't there, which is really weird because it's used three times in the King James Version, 
But perplexity basically means being in a state of where you're perplexed. Okay. So what does perplex mean? Well, it's a verb and it's transitive. It comes from the Latin perplexus um, or perplexer, per and plexor, which means to twist. Um, plexor, which means to twist, and Latin plico means to fold, to twist and fold. And so the first meaning is to make intricate, to involve, to entangle, to make complicated and difficult to be understood or unraveled. Um, kind of like listening to Joe Biden talk. <laughs> um, and then it's using a sentence, what was thought obscure, perplexed, or too hard for our weak parts will lie open to the understanding and fair view. Okay. Uh, the second meaning is to embarrass, uh, to puzzle, to distract, to tease with suspense, uh, anxiety, or ambiguity. And he uses it in a sentence here. We can distinguish no general truths or at least shall be apt to perplex the mind. Um, then he uses a scripture where perplexed, but not in despair. We'll go into that in a minute or two. And the third is to perplex or to vex. <clears throat> um, and it, there's another meaning, perplex. It uses an adjective. It means intricate or difficult. And it says not really used. So, um, but it, it is applicable because uh, the problems that we're having these days are intricate and difficult. Okay. Uh, as well as being twisted up and convoluted and um, untangleable. Um, but there was one meaning here that I thought was kind of interesting. Um, I thought there was something that said that, uh, uh, well, maybe not. I thought it said that if something is brought to light, that would be, uh, the perplexity would go away. Um, let's see. Well, anyway, I guess I'm wrong. Okay. Anyway, mark that down. Dave was wrong. Okay. Uh, now, I looked up perplexity in uh, a modern language, a modern Merriam-Webster dictionary, and it said the state of being perplexed, so we just read what perplexed means, and it also says bewilderment, like you can't believe what's going on, you can't believe what you're seeing. Um, and, and if you look at society nowadays and you, and you see all the unrest that's going on in the cities and everything that people are getting away with, all the laws that the leftists are breaking um, and they're getting away with it, you know, that's that's bewilderment. That's perplexing. Uh, second um, uh, meaning is something that perplexes. And then there's that word entanglement again. So anyway, um, Isaiah... Uh, let's see, Isaiah 22, 5, he seems to be talking to Israel, um, and he seems to be talking about a, um, an invasion of Israel, um, because he's talking about chariots and horsemen that shall set themselves up, um, an array at the gate, and, um, that they will pick the choicest valleys to assemble in. 
It almost sound, it seems to sound like the uh, the Battle of Armageddon. Um, but it's um, talking about the Elamites, and I don't think they're around it. Well, I think Elam is uh, Iran, actually, um, or over in that area. So, but the, uh, the the fifth verse of the 22nd chapter of Isaiah says, For it is a day of trouble, and a treading down, and a perplexity by the Lord God of hosts in the valley of vision, breaking down the walls and the crying of and of crying to the mountains. Interesting. Um, it's talking about, uh, let's see, for the day of trouble and of treading down and of perplexity by the Lord of hosts, the Lord God of hosts, which is basically should be Yahweh, uh, Yahweh, um, Elohim, um, uh, and the hosts are usually his armies, uh, God's armies. So um, God is going to send a perplexity among the soldiers that are going to come against uh, Israel and Jerusalem. So that, that's pretty interesting, actually. And then if we go to Second Corinthians, I, I would prefer, if you don't mind, it's only 18 verses long. Um, but it's it's encouraging. Okay, and that's what we need in these days is something encouraging. Something that um, takes the perplexity and kind of casts a light on it and helps you to understand why it's there and um, and how to deal with it. Okay. Um, so it starts out and Second um, uh, Corinthians four one. Therefore, seeing we have this ministry as we have received mercy, we faint not, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty. See, he's starting off with a, a clean slate. Okay, you can't, uh, you can't. Uh, let's see, we, we have received mercy and we faint not. So you receive, you receive mercy and you faint not because you have uh, renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness nor handling the word of God deceitfully. But by manifestations of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. So being empathetic towards people um, in a Christian sort of way. Um, but if our gospel be hid, it is hid to those that are lost. Boy, isn't that the truth. Um, for whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believeth not lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. See, so he's making a division here. He's he's making a division of um, those who are blind and have been blinded and cannot see the gospel as opposed to those who can. Okay. Um, that almost sounds like a two seed doctrine to me. But anyway, let's go on. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus, the Lord, and ourselves, your servants, for Jesus' sake. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of the darkness, has shined in our hearts to give light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Isn't this encouraging? But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power of of power may be of God and not of us. In other words, we're faulty, but it's our, any righteousness that come out, comes, comes out of us is from God. Um, 
we're earthen vessels and uh, the earth is cursed, so we, we cannot take the glory. <clears throat> uh, verse 8, we are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Okay, see, so you see that the perplexity can be there, but you don't despair in the, the perplexity. Okay, it's not saying that he's going to make the perplexity go away. He's, but he's not going to let you despair about it. Okay, and he goes on, persecuted, but not forsaken, cast down, but not destroyed. I think there's a song that we sing in church that kind of talks about this. Um, always bearing about in the body the dying of our Lord Jesus, that the life of also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' Jesus's sake, that the life also of Jesus might be manifest in our mortal flesh. So then death worketh in us, but life in you. So in other words, he's talking about a martyr's life, how martyrs bring about more believers. Um, we have the same spirit of faith according as it is written, I believe, and therefore I have spoken. We also believe and therefore speak, knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise us up also by Jesus and present us with you. So he's talking about the blessed hope there, the resurrection. For all things are for your sakes, that the abundant grace might work the thanksgiving of many re redound uh, to the glory of God, for which cause we faint not, but through our outward man perish, yet the inward man re is renewed day by day. Boy, is that the truth. For our light affliction, which is for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and ex eternal weight of glory, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things that are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So, in other words, when you see perplexity, realize that it's going to happen and don't despair and know that Jesus died to save us and that um, if for by any chance uh, we are called to be taken from this life for the cause of our Messiah, Yeshua, um, it'll be for God's glory and it'll be as a testimony to those that are still seeking but not have found yet. So. Anyway, I didn't plan on going very long with this. I just wanted to to share a few things, um, which I believe I did. I um, I just know that a lot of you are going through perplexity right now. A lot of you are are feeling like, "Geez, if 2020 was this bad, what's next year going to be like?" <laughs> Somebody posted something today and said. Uh, because we turn the clocks back uh, tomorrow night. And they said turning the clocks back in autumn in 2020 is like adding an extra track of music to a Yoko Ono album. 
That was hilarious. Oh, goodness. Um, this has been quite a year for a lot of us folks. It really has. It's, it hasn't been an easy year. It's been a very difficult year. There are still people in California and other states that are not being allowed to worship. I saw a video the other day of, uh, a group of believers in Chicago singing outside, worshiping outside, and the cops came and arrested them. Um, so it seems to be not just a battle against COVID, it's a battle against Christianity. It's a battle against your faith and my faith. Um, it's the enemy trying to overcome us. And uh, um, if you want to get a good look at socialism, this is what's going to happen under socialism. So I'm telling you, if you're a Christian, a believer in Yeshua <coughs> or Jesus Christ, whatever you decide to call him, and you say you're not going to go out and vote, well, <clears throat> I, I'm, I'm telling you right now, if that other guy wins, uh, you're not going to be able to go to church anymore unless it's a state-sanctioned church. You're, everybody really needs to, to get on YouTube and look at the testimonies of some people that have come from the former Soviet Union and to see what they went through, how they had to meet secretly in houses, how they were the only church that was sanctioned was a church that was basically a state church, and they did the bidding of the government. Um, the Russian Orthodox Church um, was the uh, was the mouthpiece, the the religious mouthpiece for the Communist Party. Um, they did not like Jews, and they did not like Pentecostals or Baptists, because Pentecostals, Baptists, and Jews were all free thinkers over in the Soviet Union, and they were persecuted heavily. And that's what's coming here if you put Biden in office. I'm telling you, it's we are one stone's throw away from our lives being changed forever and for the worse. And I mean it, for the worse. I, I've talked with more people from the former Soviet Union. I've talked with people that escaped from Cuba. Um, nobody from Venezuela yet. Um but many people that have escaped from communist regimes and they all know what's coming down the pike and they're all getting ready just in case that maniac gets elected. And if you're a believer and you have, and you're registered to vote and you haven't done it, get your rear end out there and vote on Tuesday or tomorrow or Monday for that matter. But, um, Unless you want to see your grandkids and your kids uh, stand in bread lines and, and, uh, you know, basically starve and, and not have, um, not have the food on the table they need and not have the heat in their house they need during the cold winters. Um, I mean, if you want that for your kids, yeah, stay home, don't vote. Um, but if, if you want, I mean, for goodness sakes, I mean, those of us that have grandkids and kids, we've been given a responsibility that is not a light one, and that's to take care of our families. You know, that's to that's to bring them up in the way they should go. And 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 how is it bringing them up in the way they should go if you say, well, I'm not going to vote because uh, I don't like Trump. You know, well, you're not voting for Trump in this election. You're voting for freedom or you're voting for communism. And if you don't vote, you're voting for communism. 
And when your children are standing in bread lines and they're going to state-run schools that will teach them to hate you um, and to turn you in for doing just about anything. And then when you have to spend some time in a gulag, I don't know what they'll call them in this country. They might call them FEMA camps, whatever. Um, and maybe when you're uh, you're freezing to death and they call out your name and they, uh, they gas you and put you in an oven. Maybe uh, then you'll realize, well, you're dead. You, it's too late anyway. But uh, maybe when you're sitting there in a gulag or a concentration camp, you realize that you should have voted. But then it's going to be too late, right? So um, please try to get a grip on the gravity of the situation here. What's at stake? Because it's not just Trump saying that, you know, that things are going to get bad if he doesn't get elected. Uh, listen to what the other side's saying. The other side's going to raise your taxes. They're going to tax you to death. They're going to mandate just about everything health-wise. They're going to they're going to give you Obamacare on steroids, which is a lousy plan. Uh, they were interviewing people today on the radio that have Obamacare, and some of them have uh, had relatives that have died because they couldn't get the surgeries they needed. And don't let them tell you that Obamacare. Um, takes care of pre-existing conditions because it doesn't because I listened to testimonies today from people that lost loved ones because they had pre-existing conditions and Obamacare wasn't going to treat it. Well, you put Biden in there by not voting for Trump and that's what you're going to get. You know, I, I don't care what your philosophy is, you know, but um, God, if you're not going to vote for partisan sakes or you're not going to vote for you know better life for yourself think about your kids and grandkids for goodness sakes and when you stand before the lord if if we do get that maniac in office um and and things get bad and people die and, and you finally stand before the lord i'm trusting and telling you that there's going to be an accounting for you not doing what you should have done for your children your children are your your ministry. Your family is your ministry. Even if you're a pew sitter, which maybe some of you are, um, if you're a pew sitter and you just go to church every Sunday and every Wednesday night, just to think that you're fulfilling some some kind of oath, you're going to have to stand in front of God someday and answer for the for not doing what you should have done, for not taking care of your family and not preparing. Or looking down the line to see what could happen if you don't do something to take care of your family. And I'll tell you what, guys, if you gentlemen out there and you ladies that are the breadwinners, it says a man, and we'll say, let's just say a woman too, that doesn't take care of their family is worse than an infidel. And you want to see something that God doesn't like. He doesn't like infidels. And it's not a Muslim term. It was used in scripture way before Islam ever came into the being. So. I don't know. I don't know how to get a few thick skulls that they need to get out and vote. It's it's just it's sad. It really is. It's sad that some people are so selfish that they they just won't go out and do what's right. So and uh, your selfishness is going to land you in hell. And if you make it to heaven, <laughs> well, you know, let's just put it this way: you're going to live on the outside of the New Jerusalem, not on the inside. Um, there will be people living on the outside. Read it. It's in Revelation. Here.
let's go. I, I got this. I got the program up. I think it's Revelation 23 or 20. Uh, hold on. Bear with me, okay? Uh, New Jerusalem. Okay. Revelation. Revelation 21. And uh, let's see. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, behold, the tabernacle of God is with men and he will dwell with them and they shall be his people and God himself, God himself. We're talking Yahweh here shall be with them. And be their God. And God will wipe out all the tears from their eyes. And there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying. Neither shall there be any more pain. For the former things are passed away. And he that sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write for these, these words are true and faithful. And he said unto me, I am done. I, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And I will give unto him that is a thirst uh, of the fountain of water of life freely. He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the fearful, the unbelieving, the abominable, and the murderers, and the whoremongers, and the sorcerers, and the idolaters, and all the liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Okay, I'm trying to get to a part here, because now he's going to describe the New Jerusalem. Uh, the city being four square, and all the stones that make up the city, and that the gates stand for the, the twelve apostles. And uh, Okay. Here it is right at the end. Um, and the gates of it shall not be shut all day at all day by oh, no, excuse me. And the gates of it shall not be shut at all by day for there shall be no more night there. And they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. And here we go. And there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they that are written in the Lamb's book of life. Now, let me ask you something here, folks. I thought that when there was a new heaven and a new earth, that this last group of people wasn't going to be here. Let me read it again. And there shall in no wise enter in anything that defileth, neither worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they, that's written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Those will be the only ones that will be allowed into the New Jerusalem. But those that defile and work abominations and make a lie will not be allowed to go in. Could that be describing the Christians that never really lived um, a wholesome life, let's say, never really lived a righteous life, never really took their walk with Yeshua seriously, thought that they had all the answers, didn't want to take care of their families because they thought that they knew better. 
Okay. That's something to really think about because there are going to be people, and and I believe, and, and you can read it in Scripture, um, it, it says in Scripture that um, somebody said, who could be saved? I can't remember who said it. I think it was the centurion said, well, then who can be saved? And the answer was, if you confess the Lord Jesus with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Okay, you're saved. But does it mean that you have a walk with him? Does it mean that you um, revere him? Does it mean that you listen to his and cling on his every word and, and obey his voice when you need to? Well, if you're not voting to protect your children, then I seriously doubt it. And you can call me whatever you want to. But the facts lie right before you. They're right at your feet. You don't take care of your family. You don't look out for their future. Then you're no better than every other sinner that's out there. You may get to heaven. You may get to walk the streets of gold. But you will not enter into the new Jerusalem. So put that in your pipe and smoke on it for a while. Anyway, um, sorry, I didn't mean to end like that, but I just, I just get so perturbed. It's a good word with people that think that they know what they're doing is right, but they're not doing right. You know, I, um, a few months ago, well, actually it was probably a year and a half now ago. Um, I got convicted for drinking um, curried coffee cups, you know, those little K-cups, because they're made out of plastic, and they're going into a landfill, and they're going to destroy. There must be millions upon millions of K-cups in the landfills nowadays, and plastic doesn't, um, what do you call it, doesn't decay like paper does. So what did I do? Yeah, I, I still have to use the machine. I go out and get a reusable filter. Because I'm not going to buy those K-cups and and fill up the landfills and destroy what beauty is out there for my grandkids. When they decided here in Oregon to go with paper straws, I was like, yay, yay, paper straws. We had paper straws when I was a kid. It's just bringing back good memories. Everybody's complaining about them. Oh, they don't last. Well, they're not supposed to last all day. Dang it. They're supposed to last for your drink and then get thrown out where they go to a landfill and they decay. Okay, Um, you know, I've never been an ardent uh, environmentalist. I I loathe PETA. Um, I've got a a relative by marriage that's involved in all sorts of environmental issues. and, And a couple of them I agree with. The other ones, I think she's a nut job. Okay. Um, I love her, and I hope that she gets saved someday. But she's, let's just say, very different. And um, and I don't understand her leftist mindset. I don't know if I want to understand it, but um, maybe I would want to understand it so I can finally realize a way to reach her. But I, I'm beginning to think that that's not possible. But it doesn't stop me from praying. Um so, you know, I I realized that the grandkids are going to have to grow up in a world that's, uh, yeah, the stuff's in a landfill and it's not out in the street like it was when I was a kid. 
You know, when I was a kid, there was newspapers laying out in the street. It rained a few times. They turned to slush and went down into the sewer where they went out to sea and they just dissolved. You know, today, everything's made of plastic. It goes out to sea and it kills whales and it um, gets wrapped around the noses of bottlenose dolphins so that they can't eat. You know, it's um, it's ridiculous. And I'm becoming more of an environmentalist the older I get but not a crazy environmentalist. I'll still eat animals. I'll, you know, and when they start sacrificing animals, I'll, you know, I'll be for that and things like that. But, um, no, I'm, I'm going to do everything I can for my grandkids and my children. Uh, my children are my stepchildren, by the way. They're not by, they're by marriage and not by, uh, biologics. But, um, but still, I love them, and I want them to have a halfway decent world. We're so worried about the kind of government they're going to have when they grow up, you know, which is a very valid concern. But we're not worried about how it, turning it into a crap hole full of uh, plastic and everything. Um, and there's even those of you out there that, that aren't even worried about what kind of political system they're going to live under. I think that... Uh, Basically, if I had it within my power, I think every non-Trumper or every Christian that doesn't think that they have to go out and vote. And oh, it's, I, I think that you guys should have to go live in Venezuela for six months or a year. You know, it should be a requirement that if you don't like a civics experiment, that if you don't believe in, that voting is important that they put you on a plane and send you to Venezuela and you live there for six months to see what it's like. You rummage through the garbage cans of the rich people and go to the dumps trying to find a chicken leg that you can gnaw on. You know, maybe then you realize what, what's important about this election. And uh, the problem is that it's only three or four days away and it's going to be too late simply because you didn't want to get off your duffs and go vote. Shame on you. Shame on you if you don't vote in this election. And and you're going to have to answer for it. I don't care. Uh, oh, you shouldn't mix politics with religion. Well, I'll tell you what. Politics, if, if in, in a society like ours, that if it's run correctly, protects religion. You know? And that's another thing. Yeah. Kiss your church services goodbye. You probably don't go anyway. If, if you're not going to vote, you probably don't go to church anyway. So I, that's probably falling on deaf ears. But um, you're just a lazy bunch of jackasses if you don't go out and vote. And, uh, and I'm not going to retract that statement either. And uh, I probably won't live long enough to see it. But if I had... Ever, could live long enough to see my grandchildren suffering because you didn't go out and vote. I'd try to come out and find you. Um, that's not a threat. I just would want to rattle your brain a little bit to find out what the heck was wrong with you. Maybe, ah, never mind. It's, it's, it's a, it's a worthless, it's worthless talking to people like you. It really is. It's worthless talking to people that won't go out and vote in this election. Um, so let's get off of it. Anyway, um, I'm going to end this show and I'm going to go to bed. I got plans for tomorrow. And um, I just pray that, uh, hey, that uh, you'll think about what I said. Maybe you'll you'll go out and get a ballot and vote. Um, 
it's still not too late. And um, maybe uh, we can all learn to treat each other a little nicer because although the perplexity is there, um, the Lord requires that we still love one another. And yeah, what I said was hard before, maybe for some of you, but sometimes love has to be said in a hard manner uh, or exhibited in a hard manner. Um, anyway, so, well, God bless you guys, and uh, we'll see you on Monday night, uh, me, Brian, and Eric. And um, I've already gotten a hold of uh, Russ Tanner and Laura, and uh, we're going to make plans to have them back on now that the audio is working better. So, the Lord bless you, keep you, make his face shine upon you, be gracious unto you, the Lord bring you peace. And by the Lord, I mean Yahweh. Okay. Be blessed, y'all. Talk to you Monday night. Good night.